Good morning, ZBC. Oh, we'll try that again, won't we? Good morning, ZPC. Oh, bless your hearts. Before I say anything further, though, uh, a sincere thank you to our, our worship team this morning, to Cynthia and Stacy and John and Chuck, Adam and Bob, and Steve is always on the piano. And so without their leadership, our time together would clearly be very, very different. And so very grateful for them. It is my privilege this morning as parish associate to share with you in this context. And so I am delighted to have this opportunity with you in this way. But it's also my pleasure to, if you will, step into a sermon series which we have entitled or has been entitled Stars with Scars. And I hope you've been able to follow through that through much of this, this summer. You may recall that within the last two weeks, for instance, Jerry had us focus on Esther, Queen Esther, and her kinsman Mordecai. And from that retelling, you may recall that, that our focus was drawn to what does it mean to live a life of faith when you're not certain the outcome? Or that, that famous line, for such a time as this. And all of us, I think, in one way or, or another, have those moments. And then Jerry helped us to, to think in terms of what I would call divine happenstance or divine coincidence. When we begin to look back at our lives and begin to see will this fit, and then that fit, and wonder of wonder how that fit. And so again, I, I encourage you to think in terms of where we were with, with Esther in the last two Sundays. But this morning, we will shift now to focusing upon Elijah. The truth of the matter is that as we, we give thought to Elijah, we'll be in 1 Kings chapter 17, but the truth of the matter is that as we do so, we're not gonna see many of his scars this morning. I don't know if that disappoints you or not, but we will see in some regard how he shone, how he was, if you will, a star. As a brief overview or narrative flow. The opening chapters of 1 King narrate the conclusion of the reigns of, of King David and then his son Solomon. And at Solomon's death, somewhere around the year 922 BC or BCE, at Solomon's death, the kingdom that David brought together the kingdom that Solomon reigned over split. In some ways, Solomon was not a very good king. And so the kingdom split into two. The northern kingdom then became Israel. The southern kingdom became Judah. And from then, chapter 13 of 1 Kings, all the way through 2 Kings, we then are given that history of those two kingdoms, 
their rise, and then for both, their fall. Early on, then, in that recounting of these two kingdoms, a prophet, Elijah, appears on the scene. We know very little about him. But he appeared in the northern kingdom. Elijah's name means Yah or Yahweh is God. And that name, his name, really became the essence of his ministry. We have six episodes of Elijah's life, but fundamentally his, mystery, his ministry was to say, the Lord is God. The Lord is God. And that message was to ring loudly in a culture that was taken up with Baal and Baal worship. Now, if you will shift with me for a moment, and I believe we will see something on the screen. I have three words up there for you. True? Uh-huh. Good. No, we're, we haven't lost you yet. Hunger, starvation, and famine. When you see those three words, what goes through your mind? What image do you see? Hunger, starvation, famine. By the way, you can see where we're going this morning, and if you want to leave now, it's okay. <laughs> Hunger, starvation, famine. Now, some of you will recall, and you've been very kind to me in days past, I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, when you see those three words, hunger, starvation, famine, what thought goes through your mind? What image? Are you with me? All right, I want, I'm going to give you 60 seconds, and I want you to turn to your neighbor, and if you're not close to a neighbor, find a neighbor, and turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, when you see hunger, starvation, famine, what do you think? What image? Are we, are we together? All right, do it. 60 seconds. Go. I don't know what you're going to do. Go talk to Barry. All right. You still have 40 seconds. <laughs> have you exhausted? Thank you very much for humoring me. You did that in less than a minute. So thank you very much. And Lest I lose absolute control here, but I'm going to do it. Take a moment, stand and greet one another where you are. Will you please do that? Stand up and greet one another.
Well, you did that in about a minute, so I, I commend you. Thank you for greeting one another. This morning, given those three words and shortly our sermon text, I invite you to ponder with me Elijah and the widow. Elijah and the widow. But I would also warn you, perhaps, that, that at the conclusion of these moments, you may leave here with more questions than with answers. I hope that does not terribly upset you, but that may be the, the likelihood. And by the way, they will be questions with which I wrestle with frequency. This morning, Elijah and the widow. Let's take a moment and pray, please. Gracious and living Lord, triune God, we thank you that we have this opportunity, that we have the means that, that allows us to meet as we are meeting presently. But mostly we give thanks that by your Spirit you are here with us. And as Cynthia has already asked, I ask again, we ask again, that, that you might enliven us, enliven our hearts and our minds. May we hear from you we don't need to hear my voice. We need to hear yours. So please, grant us that hearing. And then once we have heard, grant us the will to do what you have asked. Again, we are grateful for the freedoms and the opportunity that, that this hour presents us. And we give thanks in your great and wonderful name. Amen. If you will now, please listen to and for the word of God as it comes to us from 1 Kings chapter 17 verses 1 to 16. Listen to and for that word of God. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishba in Galilee said to Ahab, King Ahab, as the Lord the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. The word of the Lord came to him, to Elijah, saying, Go from here and turn east and hide yourself by the wadi Kareth, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the wadi, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the Wadi Kareth, which is east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat 
in the evening, and he drank from the wadi. But after a while, the wadi dried up because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Go now to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and live there. For I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he set out and went to Zarephath. When he came to the gate of the town, a widow was there gathering sticks. The Hebrew actually suggests twigs. A widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and said, Bring me a little water and a vessel so that I may drink. As she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. But she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only, only a handful of meal in a jar and, and a little oil in a jug. I am now gathering a couple of sticks so that I may go home and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go and do as you have said, but first make a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterwards making something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of meal will not be emptied and the jug of oil will not fail until the day that the Lord sends rain on the earth. She went and did as Elijah said, so that she as well as he and her household ate for many days. The jar of meal was not emptied, neither did the jug of oil fail according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. This indeed is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In verse 1 of our text, we read that Elijah, as directed by the Lord, announced to King Ahab that unless the king heard differently from him, from Elijah, there would be no rain. There would be drought. Elijah then, given who Ahab was, Elijah then hid himself from Ahab at the wadi Kareth, daily provisioned by ravens until the wadi ran dry. Thereupon the Lord commanded him to hide, if you will, among the, the Phoenicians of Sidon within the household of a woman, a widow. This Elijah did. But our narrator, or our author of this text, makes clear that the woman faced 
starvation and death. She had expected to die very soon. To her credit, however, she gave her last food and drink to Elijah. Such is the storyline, and I, I know that you know that line. But as I gave fuller attention to this text, I noted that the Hebrew word davar, oh, do you want to practice Hebrew this morning? Oh, Cynthia, aren't you sweet? Sure, let's do it. Davar. You go ahead, say it. Davar. Oh, a little more enthusiasm. Davar. Oh, you're wonderful. You're wonderful. That Hebrew word literally is translated by the word word. That word davar occurs six times in our passage, four of those times in the phrase, the word of the Lord. I then also noted that this passage contains nine imperatives, commands. And twice, the verb to command. In other words, this passage records the wondrous provision provided Elijah and the widow, but it also speaks very forcefully with regard to obedience. Elijah obeyed the Lord by conveying a most unpopular and unwelcome message to Ahab, who certainly didn't want to hear what he heard. Elijah, Elijah obeyed. Thus he had to hide from Ahab. And when the wadi ran dry, the Lord then commanded him to flee to Zarephath of Sidon, to flee to a land that from Elijah's perspective, they were foreigners. Historically, traditionally, those Phoenicians, those from Tyre and Sidon, they had been enemies of Israel. But Elijah obeyed. He went to Zarephath. He greeted a woman, a widow, a widow whose socioeconomic status would have been on the bottom rung of society. He greeted that woman, that widow, and then he commanded her to feed him, which she did obediently. Now with Elijah and the woman and their obedience, and that they were nourished during a time of famine, they lived while others died, I began to recognize that this incident also portrays divine sovereignty. There's more in this incident than the feeding of a household. The Lord's intent 
was to rescue Elijah from starvation in order that Elijah might then confront Baal and the powers of Baal and the worshipers of Baal. Elijah and the widow, each in their own way, obeyed the word of the Lord. But I doubt that they fully understood the Lord's intent. Given that our passage this morning, at least in my view, speaks of obedience and sovereignty, for the moment, or for a moment, I would like to share with you the progression of my thinking as I gave thought to this account, as I gave thought to Elijah and the widow. First, initially, I wasn't certain I was the best person to carry the freight of this passage. I know of pastors in Malawi, Uganda, India, the Philippines, Romania, Haiti, North Africa. I know of such pastors who experientially know the suffering that comes from drought and famine and the crises of faith that come. When people begin to ask or say, if God is good, then why has he not given us rain? If he really is loving, why are our fields bone dry? We in Indiana don't often have that kind of problem. Recently, Mary and I were, however, in the Boston area, and they are experiencing drought. But it is even so, it is American drought. So I wondered, am I the person to best address what was going on with Elijah and the widow? For surely our text depicts poverty and starvation. As I indicated before, the widow, I believe the Hebrew is accurate, or my understanding is accurate, that she was gathering twigs. That's all she could find to start a fire. But I have never known poverty nor starvation, although I have observed both. And I know that some of you have as well. Approximately eight years ago, I encountered this little girl. She was sitting on her kitchen floor. Her father was attending seminary. I've wondered now, eight years later, and I don't know how old she was, five, I wondered what her life is like now. 
poverty. And then as I thought further about poverty, I was reminded of William Kemkwamba's description of drought, famine, and starvation in his book, and then subsequent film, The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind. Some of you may have already seen this. I, I recommend both the movie as well as the book. William Kemkwamba writes powerfully, at least in my view, about famine, starvation. When the only meal for the day and for the past two months is a handful of dried leaves, that's starvation. I have never worried if I might have a next meal. Whereas billions upon planet Earth, perhaps at this very moment, are wondering, will I have a next meal? Ah, but then, if you're following my line of thinking, but then it occurred to me, Elijah and the widow, by God's will, were among a nutritionally blessed minority. They had, the others had not. They were blessed because God, in his sovereignty, had a far greater plan in view, namely to turn hearts and minds and lives away from the prevalent, destructive, often perverse fertility rites operative through the worship of Baal. The Lord's desire, eventually through Elijah, was that those worshiping Baal might know of his, of the Lord's mercy, and yes, of his blessings. Elijah and the widow knew such blessings, just as you and I know such blessings. But because they were so blessed, did that mean that Elijah and the widow were better than the multitudes then starving? Did that mean that Elijah and the widow were plagued with guilt because they had blessed, had been blessed? I don't think so. And so then, thirdly, if again you're following my train of thought, I recall Jesus' observation as he spoke to the good folk of Nazareth, Luke chapter 4, verse 25 and verse 26. The truth is, Jesus said, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a severe famine over all the land. 
Yet Elijah was sent to none of them, to none of those widows, except to the widow at Zarephath in Sidon. By his observation, Jesus enraged. Oh, he enraged his friends and neighbors. They then sought to kill him. How dare, how dare he suggest that the Lord God of Israel, the creator of heaven and earth, might care more for Gentile dogs than for his chosen, rightly religious, pious people. How dare he? He dared, and he dares, because he is sovereign and has a far greater plan, a far greater kingdom in mind than the kingdom Jesus' neighbors envisioned. Jesus, I think, was not seeking to provoke. Rather, he was seeking to encourage. It was a message they didn't want to hear. But he was seeking to encourage his neighbors to look, to look with eyes of faith, to look beyond their own narrow circumstances and to begin to ask, what is the Lord God doing in the greater world? What is the nature and scope of his kingdom, not our kingdom? And perhaps most importantly, they were to ask, how can we of tiny little Nazareth share in that larger kingdom? Elijah and the widow, both of whom were obedient, were blessed, not so that they might reside in comfort, not so that they might eat while others starved, but because God was about to use Elijah in a manner that he, Elijah, perhaps could in no way imagine. As I thought further about Elijah, I came, I came upon these words of Elizabeth Elliot. God is the God of human history, she wrote, and he is at work continuously, mysteriously, accomplishing his eternal purposes in us, for us, through us and in spite of us. I wonder this morning, and now here are the questions I warned you. I wonder this morning, how do you view our Lord's blessings in your life? And I can state unequivocally, you have been blessed, so have I.
How do you view our Lord's blessings in your life? And equally, because of those blessings, are you willing to use them for the building of his kingdom, his kingdom in Ukraine, Russia, China, India, Nigeria, Brazil, are you? Am I? Elijah and the widow were obedient. They were blessed. And God was and is sovereign. I wonder what kingdom do you see? What kingdom are you seeking to build? I'll give you a moment to ponder that. Please pray with me yet again. Gracious and living Lord, sovereign, triune God, over all the earth, clearly there is much that we do not understand and cannot see about how you are at work. And we admit at moments, we even wonder if you are at work. And yet we would pray that you would use your people, people like us, that you would use your church to build your kingdom. Yes, in the Ukraine, in Poland, Romania, Russia, China, Syria, India, the Philippines, Sri Lanka. In whatever way that we can, O oh Lord, we ask that you will use us for your good plan, your good purposes, for your intent that we perhaps cannot see. As we asked earlier, please, may we hear from you. And in hearing, may we have the will with one another to do what you ask. This we humbly ask, truly, sincerely, in your name, in accord with your character. Amen.